in April, Parks and Rec Advisory Board meeting. We are called to order. And then do you yes. do your bit? You turn it over to me. All right. Hi, Roger. Thank you, Amber. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. I have a few housekeeping items for this Zoom meeting. The meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you're participating during the meeting, please turn off your video. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting when you are participating. Please turn your video on. If you have troubles, you can send me a message in the chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please state your name each time you speak for the benefit of those. The proceedings back over to our vice chair, Amber Nick. Thank you. All right, so we need to approve minutes from our March 13th meeting. So looking for a motion. I move. Val Renault, I move. Thank you. Raise your hand, say aye. High five, whatever. Okay, it looks like everybody's good. Do I have to say? No. Nope. Okay, great. Motion carries. Motion carries. All right, and then the next order of business is public comment. Yeah. Now, the public comments, uh, individuals attending in person will approach the area over here if they want to and indicate what they wish to speak. Um, Individuals participating via Zoom, please use the raise your hand function to indicate you wish to speak. Please leave your virtual hand raised until you are called upon uh, to be, and we'll get you in the order that you have your hands up. Um, and I'll turn it back over to you. You have three minutes to speak, and um, please state your name before speaking if you do. Okay. Is there public comment in the room? This is all presentations. And no signs of need from at home. So that was easy. <laughs> Check that off. Thank you very much. And we'll go straight to our agenda items then. The, uh, our first presentation, the comprehensive city plan update. Welcome, we have uh, PJ Novick and Novak, I'm sorry, and uh, Hank Moyer from Confluence here tonight. And we had questions about how the uh, Parks and Rec, Arts and Culture Comprehensive Plan would be, uh, would be implemented and organized and time-wise. And so, and rather than me trying to be a conduit between Confluence and the board, I wanted to bring them in and they can tell us about what's going on and how the plans are going to go and for question and answers with the advisory board. Great. Yeah, PJ. Thanks, Derek. Yeah, I'm PJ Novak. I'm a principal of Confluence in the Kansas City office and, and Hank Myers is, uh, will be our project manager. He's an associate principal in our Kansas City office. Um, just a little bit about Confluence. We're a firm. We've got nine offices throughout the Midwest. Um, one of those offices in Denver, so I guess it's not quite Midwest, it's more West, I guess. Um, with that, we're landscape architects and planners. We've done a lot of plans 
like this, I currently just wrapped up Olathe. Uh, I think it gets voted on this week, I think, with those. Um, and did Olathe's prior. We've also done you know, just numerous around the area, so we're looking forward to working with you all on that. Our design team includes uh, some other firms that aren't here. We've got uh, our uh, next one is Pros Consulting, Leon Younger. And they're a firm that uh, they're kind of the park management aspect, so they're going to be taking a look at the information that we pull from you all, um, taking a look at that as far as standards uh, across the across the country to kind of give us an idea of you know, where you compare to other uh, municipalities of your size. And then they'll also be helping us with um, just the long-term recommendations. Hank is going to get into that um, for us. Then we've also got ETC, which is a, I think they've done work for the city before, but they're, they're a statistically valid survey firm. And they'll be uh, doing a, I think we're 800, I think is what we zeroed in on as far as the number of, of you know, if they don't, when they send those out, if they don't get the 800, they will reach out over phone to guarantee that. So we have it as statistically valid as possible. And I guarantee you'll all be able to say that really fast by the time we're done, because I still don't. Um, and then with the arts and culture aspect, we brought on a firm um, designing local. Uh, Amanda Golden has worked with uh, Leon Younger from Pose on uh, Project Ford. This is really what they specialize in, and she's out of, I believe, Cleveland, Ohio. With that, she worked um, in Kansas City for the city of Merriam on not, not as big as your program is, but the same type thing. So she's got a great deal of experience in this. She will be um, joining us Wednesday night on the call. Um, with that. So that kind of rounds out the team we've got. I'm going to let Hank go through kind of the three phases that we do and catch you all up on what we have completed uh, at this point in time. So our three phases are really broken down. We do more of an inventory phase, which is the first phase where we actually go out and visit each of your individual parks, um, documenting all of the conditions of the various elements within the park, accessibility, um, how, how well it's maintained, we start to look at um, things just like sidewalks and connectivity within the uh, within the community, and start to make some recommendations on a park by park basis on what are some improvements that could be made, what are some opportunities, and what are some of the constraints that we see. Uh, we've had someone out here in the community doing that for the last two weeks, um, or actually multiple people, um, and they've been documenting all of this, and so. They've got about one more day left of that, um, at which point PJ and I will be going around and um, going back through their recommendations and their inventories and making sure that they kind of match what our thought process is as well. Um, we have also started documenting as far as a level of service throughout the community. So we look at each individual park location within the community, looking at the type of park it is, whether it's a neighborhood park, a community park, or a regional park, and then how wide of a surface radius that really provides within the community. And we start to identify where there might be some gaps in the, in the system. Um, this, the inventory phase is also where we will start to um, talk to the general public and start to have public meetings to gather the kind of information along with the statistically valid survey, as PJ mentioned. What is it that the public really wants to see within their parks community or their parks facilities? And so that's where we start to dig in a little bit deeper. Once we get through all of those different pieces, we start to come and sum it up and start to make general recommendations. We start to look at parks facilities. We'll look at the arts and cultural side of things. We'll look at um, uh, staffing and operations and management. We'll look at uh, facilities and make recommendations about each of those and start to identify how those play in with our goals and our uh, mission and vision statements. 
and make sure that those all kind of correspond. So once we get buy off on all of those recommendations, that's when the third phase of the process comes in and we start to wrap this all up into a document that gets um, put together for the next 10 years. And so that's more on our side, not as many public meetings. There is one final public meeting where we actually present the, the document to the public and then we'll actually take it to get adopted by the, by the commission. And the, the interesting thing about the plan is we, we recommend that it is approved by the by your board and then it goes to the city council for approval and also request that, that becomes a part of the overall comprehensive plan for the city because that gives Derek and the staff a little bit more, um, if you will, uh, leverage as far as when you're saying, hey, you know, in, in, year, in year seven, we were supposed to be doing this and being able to chart that out so the city commission is aware of, you know, this is this is the program we put for the next 10, 15 years and just keeping up on that regarding maybe especially funding and things. But uh, so we'll do a 10 year plan with all those estimates and that'll also hit on, on just as Hank said, as far as employees and how many additional you know, man hours that might take for that that individual task and things. So it's a, it'll be a pretty thorough plan. It'll be a little slow getting started because we really can't come out and make the and beginning to look at the detailed recommendations until we get that statistically valid survey back. And that's going to take, by the time we get the questions approved, it's probably, it's probably a three month period yeah, from start course. to finish. So, and that's the point at which we will be getting all this additional information. We're going to be in town for two days with all of our consultant team. Once we get the, the committee set, where we'll be having individual uh, interviews with all the all the key stakeholders um, and, and city staff just getting their side of things. And we like to do that just one on one because we don't want anybody encumbered by, you know, if they're if their boss is in the room or something else, we just want honest feedback and, and we'll document all that through meeting notes and that'll that's going to become part of the appendix of the report. Um, so that's kind of the, you know, the 10 minute rundown of what what we're going to be doing with with you all for the next probably 12 months. Any questions? Sure. Val Renault, board member. Um, in addition to the survey, you said there are other ways you're going to get input? We're going to be having public meetings. You'll have some public yeah. meetings. Okay. Yeah. We'll be presenting some of the findings that we have from our uh, park inventory reviews, um, looking at the level of service standards. <clears throat> we'll also start having things like some image boards out that people can start to provide their thoughts on things that they want to yeah. see brought into some of the parks that you may or may not already have within the community. Um, things that they may have seen, we'll have comment cards, um, some presentations, and just be open for uh, general public meetings. Um, and we'll strategically place those in different parts of the city at different points in time. It's interesting about those image boards. Um, we, we completed Derby, Kansas' plan, and we had those image boards and the the administration, and it's a little different because they're, they're a, they've got a parks department. They also, the, the Parks and Recreation Commission down there runs the facilities the city builds. But um, we had Farmer's Market as far as one of the things we threw out, and the administration was like, you know, I've, I've never heard anybody say anything about a farmer's market. It was the number one thing from the public um, when those came out, which just floored us. That it was, you know, the, the, the administration was like, no, we don't need that. We still haven't quite figured out. It's passed, but we still haven't quite figured out. They were just not wanting to deal with the farmer's market. But uh, that was the number one recommendation. So dealing through that and, and those public meetings, we typically do it where we'll break down into groups of, if you're interested in trails, 
as a, as a, a resident of the city, you can come over and we'll have somebody talk about trails. And there's some community centers if you're inter interested in even the more than the natural systems of the parks. So we'll have kind of those specific areas so they can go to their kind of their key point of interest um, with that. And then Amanda will also be there to talk about arts and culture and get that. So there's going to be a lot of dialogue that goes along and it's a uh, pretty, pretty thorough process. Where can we look? Oh, okay. Go ahead, John. John Blazik, committee member. Hey, that sounds pretty thorough and detailed. Now, th there's got to be a cost to this. And what kind of cost are you talking about? And who pays for this? Dr. Rogers, uh, Parks Rec Director, we've already um, paid for this. Went to uh, the commission in November of last year, was approved, and we reviewed the contract. And looking at it, we decided to expand the arts and culture. So that was expanded and then it was approved again March. Is that right? I think it was in March to the city commission. So total price tag was $189,000. Our, our previous um, parks and recreation master plan in 17, do you recall what the cost was? I think it was around 60 some or 70. Yeah. So, Things have gone up, and I was talking to other cities, Wichita, and um, inflations are just getting us all over, and wages are expensive. This is something that cities should do. Hank said 10 years. Ideally, it's every five years. If you look at what we've done with our master plan, um, Mark has been very effective on getting projects done. Um, we need to do this, this, this. So it was time to, to re-envision that master plan. As we got the new strategic plan, we looked at bringing in arts and culture, and so that's a whole new dimension <clears throat> to get it going. Yeah, I I mean, I'm very aware. I, I enjoy seeing that master plan. I think Mark's done a really good job of keeping us all updated. I just haven't seen the financials for a long time, and I know we're way over budget, so I'm just looking out for the taxpayers. And PJ, is that something I, I know, if I recall from the past master plan, they look at structure of an organization and I believe they also look at opportunities with finances, whether it be revenues or expenditures. Yeah, and that, that is what uh, that is what uh, pros will will take a look at. They'll take a look at, you know, the, the staff and then they'll take a look at, you know, options for improvements to, to get those dollars, whether it's, you know, whether it's bond issue, whether it's sales tax or, you know, other elements in Leon will bring all those all those to the table as far as potential funding sources for that. And it's likely to be a combination yeah. of a, a number of different sources, so they'll cover all of those. Jackie Becker, uh, so you said there will be meetings. Have they been set yet? Not yet. We're still getting the committee together, which is, uh, I believe the city put out, we help them with kind of a, a description of what we want the committee members to do. Uh, I think basically the big thing we zeroed in on was consistency, that you're going to have you know, eight to ten of these meetings, they're probably going to be, you know, two to three hour commitments. And it's, we really want to hit that it's really important that you're committing to being in every single one of those because you're going to learn more and more. In a sense, we're building the report as we go. And so if, you know, the committee member doesn't doesn't make the, that meeting, we always give a quick rundown on what happened prior. 
but they just get to kind of kind of behind the eight ball of just understanding the process and where we are. So that's kind of I think the biggest thing we made the recommendation for. And they're also looking for you know diversity in that committee from you know not only the department but just the different the different agencies and groups and residents in Lawrence that make that so we get a, get a good broad cross section of the community. So the so could the committees and then there's public engagement or your public engagement is this committee? No, there's then there's public engagement. Okay. So we'll have the committee is to really kind of work with us. They're the nuts and bolts committee working through the process and helping guiding us. And then when we get when we get to that point, then we will, you know, the committee is welcome to go to the public meetings. We encourage it. But that's another meeting, you know, the meetings on top of that. And we use the committee, the committee more as a sounding board on recommendations. They're kind of the first blush. And then when the final document's written, we ask them to go through and review it and provide their commentary before we take it to the public as well. And then continuing, sorry. So then you're saying you're doing this in three months. So you would say then, I mean, because I just want to make sure one of the big things and the issues we have, I think, is getting out to the community. And if we're going to suddenly give like a three days notice for a public no, meeting, no, 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 I don't no, no, think no. that's good. So I just want to know, like, what will be the time frame for when there be public meetings and making sure that they're hitting different time frames for parts of the city? And we'll have we'll have a minimum four week notice as okay. far as when the public meetings are. Uh, the three month time frame is really just to get the statistically valid survey complete. Got it. Okay. So, Thanks. you know, realistically, I don't think we're talking about a schedule, right? Yeah. All this stuff. yeah. So we'll get that out okay. once we get it. We're still kind of finalizing everything because we haven't even put out to the community the, uh, you know, for them to be part of that steering committee or whatever you're calling yeah. it. Okay. Exactly. So you said three months. I was just trying to figure this all into a box so that was going to fit. That seemed really quick. So, yeah, okay. so I understand. Yeah, that. so okay. we will put together a schedule once we, once we know that starting date of saying, might not have, we won't have a date for every public meeting, but we'll know, okay, we're going to have a meeting probably the, say, the second week of June, and then another meeting the first week of September, just so everybody kind of can just, we can start looking at, you know, how how it is, especially in the summer, especially with folks with, with younger kids, all their commitments that we're trying to, so that we, you know, if Mark and Lindsay came and said, you, we can't do it that week because this, 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 and this is going on, we'll just, so. Good, thank you. Marilyn Hall, board member. Um, are, is there a representative of the advisory board on the steering committee? And if not, why not? There will be, yes. <laughs> and uh, we have Daniel Smith from the Lawrence Cultural Arts Commission and many other advisory boards and chairs. So we have a process to recruit the public for boards and commissions. So that's the process we're going through. So we put the guidelines together, the steering committee, Ideally, is six to eight people, and when you start looking at previous ones, you want a representative of the, of the advisory board, of the cultural arts commission, of, uh, a diversity member, an inclusive member, an age-friendly task force board member, <laughs> an open space uh, nonprofit um, university representative. You start to yeah yeah you get to that. So we've got the process to the developers on the fourth floor that can start to, to frame that. And then it's uh, doing the, the campaign to the public, hey, here's your opportunity to be on a steering committee that is going to be uh, essential to working both with the consulting team and city staff through this process. So from what I was reading on, on some of this and um, the kind of confluence put in what they're looking at, you know, you need to be available as a steering board member, two to three hours each month for those meetings. And then if 
uh, like Hanks or um, PJ said, if you have to catch somebody up, you can spend a half hour retreading what you went through. Um, but some of the things I look at are the steering committee members need to be open-minded. They may have something that they just love, but they also have to consider everything else with the community. And to get the best product, they really have to be open to what is in the best interest of the community through the public engagement. So I, I'm really excited about getting this rolling and getting it out to the public that they can start applying. I will add to that uh, every month we will be sending Derek uh, a report, just a brief little, this, this is what's happened last month that you all will get, so you'll right. be aware of where we are in the process. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally get the way you're composing the steering committee. I, I also think that some of us have been on this board for several years and we just have a lot of context. Mm -hmm. You know, we're the Absolutely. people that sit here and listen to the public when they come and have serious concerns and things. So I hope there is a conduit if we have a representative for um, communication going kind of both ways. And those, those initial interviews, all of you will have that interview. Um, Hank or I might sit on that, but that's going to be with, with Leon especially, because that's the information he's trying to pull out of you all from your experience on the board. So you'll, you'll be included in those initial interviews with that. The other thing that I find interesting, you have a steering committee, but then you've got the stakeholders. Can you talk a little bit about that and how there's how that dynamics work? So the stakeholder, that's part of the initial engagement uh, process. We'll be identifying a number of different groups within the community that, whether that's athletic groups, arts groups, you know, there's there might be a yoga group, there might be an aquatics group, you know, there's a number of different groups that all have interests in utilizing the different um, parks and rec facilities. So we're going to schedule a two-day period of time where we sit down in about a 30 to 45 minute session and just interview them and talk to them, each of these different groups that have been identified. What are their key interests? What are the things they want to see happen with this plan? What are some of the critical items that need to be addressed within the, the parks uh, and rec department? And really, where do they want to see things go over the next 10 years? So that's going to be okay. a critical part of that initial inventory of, of information. So that'll go on top of all of those public meetings that we have with the general public. And the liaison from the steering committee, that's the other key connectivity of communication with the boards. And that's why we thought it was essential to have both the commission and the board have representatives in that way. Okay, great. It's on that way. Great. I have another question. Um, problem we always have, and probably most communities do, is um, engaging those people who don't usually have a voice in public deliberations of this kind. Um, you can call that an equity plan or whatever you want to call it, but. Um, I'm curious whether you have something that's worked in the past to make sure that you're hearing from a good cross-section of the community and not just one um, part of it. Well, and Hank jumped in time. One of the things that, that we find is having those public meetings where we break things up because we don't like to have it where somebody has their particular thing that they're all about and they try to bogart the entire meeting. So that way we've got and you know different pods for information so we can get that one on one time with those folks to you know because frankly as you're aware some people 
are not comfortable getting in front of a large group of people. And they're going to come to this meeting, but they're not going to say a word. And then that's when they come back and then they're reporting somebody that they weren't heard. And that's what we don't want to have. We also utilize um, social media a lot. We'll put together a, a questionnaire or a survey, just like what we would give out to the general public um, online and let them, um, if they can't make it to the meeting, we know that right now, in the age that we live in, that people can't make a, an in-person meeting half the time, and so we want to give them the opportunity to have their voice heard. So we'll have a, a survey that they can put out on Facebook that they can come and provide their feedback through. And it's not the specifically valid survey, but right. it's drawing some of the major questions from that, and it, it gives us additional information, but it's they're two totally uh -huh. separate things. I will say ETC is very effective on reaching those without voices, and even if that means that they're going finding people in a park that may not do anything or line or have that capability and capacity. Um, Jackie Becker, uh, when you say online, you said just Facebook. Do you, what other means do you use besides Facebook since that's a much older demographic usually at this point in time? Uh, we'll just go with whatever the city, you know, it's not just a simple survey on the city website. Okay. With them. It's, you know, kind of like a, a, a survey monkey type thing where you get the, you know, we always limit that to one IP address. So we don't have people doing it 25 times. Yeah. But it's any of the social media networks that the city has access to and it'll go through. Yeah, Valerie, no, yeah, I don't know if we're getting too much into the weeds, but I think what this reflects is in Lawrence and probably in a lot of cities, our newspaper is a feather. And so it's, it's hard to know how to get information to people. Um, so you would use the city's you, nothing will ever come from you. It'll come from the city. Is that correct? Yeah, we'll be feeding all that to the city, yeah. and we'll, we'll be doing all the legwork for it. But it's going to be put out through the various city channels. Okay. Is there um, Marilyn Hull? Is there a plan to involve the neighborhood associations? That's a good one. I believe so, because I think they're uh, definitely a a uh, stakeholder. You know, I bet the planning department has has a listing of those that they will you know get notification yeah. of the meetings and yeah. things. Great. Any? Do we ask for public questions? It's just the board. Well, there is public. I, mean, I don't know. Safety's not there anymore. We want to make public. Okay. Yeah. It's here for a presentation. Mm -hmm. Daniel, do you have any? Or you want to wait till? Um, I would just again suggest I'm a huge fan of the QR code, and I think it should be in every park and rec building that can be used because I do think kids will say, "What do you want with your parks?" They'll use their phones and get on there. Yeah, we've and we've actually done that in, in in past efforts where we develop a sign and the city has put them out at particular locations. It's got the QR code. And, uh, we'll take you to uh, you know, information about the meetings or information about the schedule and things. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Great. These things are incredibly powerful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Jackie Becker, I mean, to continue with the QR code, I mean, you can go to so many different non-for-profits where we might find a lot of unhoused humans, you know, people that maybe, like you said, the voiceless, but most people always have a phone, you know, and so I think that's a, a great suggestion. <clears throat> okay. Thank you all very much. That was all right. very informative. Thank you. I look forward to working with you over the next probably 12 months. All right. Thank you, guys. For me, besties. Yeah. <laughs>
will see some of you visually on Wednesday then. <laughs> All right, so now we have a presentation from on tournaments at Sports Pavilion with Taylor. Come on down. Hello, everybody. How are you guys doing? Um, thank you for the opportunity. I'm going to can everyone hear me all right? Yes. Perfect. All right, uh, Taylor Martin, I appreciate the opportunity. I am the recreation facility supervisor. For the sports pavilion lawrence and do you want to go ahead and share your screen and yep. with your presentation because I, I have it if you don't so. no, i got it all good okay all right perfect all right like i said i appreciate the opportunity to speak um i supervise the sports pavilion for the last three years now actually coming up on four a while so um so this PowerPoint presentation, I'll cover a few slides, about 15 slides, it won't be too lengthy. So we'll start out with just Sports Pavilion staff recognition. Uh, we'll jump back into the 2020 to 21 COVID years. We'll look at the bounce back. And then we'll look at 2023, a preview for everything what's going on past April and what's already happened, uh, taking place from April, from January to April. Uh, we'll look at some of the programming and rentals and then some community benefits of the sports pavilion. A little touch on economic impact, but Ken will be uh, diving into that a little bit more. And then we'll take a look at some new exciting revenue opportunities that we are starting in 2023. So let's jump in. Right, perfect. So I wanted to include a slide on staff uh, just because of the importance of staff. This includes full and part-time facility staff, full and part-time maintenance staff. Um, and then we have a pretty good, we usually have a continuation of interns also out here. So they do a lot of work for us as well. So, um, so part-time staff, it's critically important as you see in that picture there, uh, that is set up by maintenance in the craft fair. That's a lot of hard work and preparation that goes into that event. Um, Part-time staff is responsible for turning over the entire facility every Friday and Sunday throughout the year. Um, Friday for tournaments and Sundays as we can turn it back over for the parks and rec programs. Uh, Sunday evenings, the building closes around 9, 10 o'clock. Staff can get out of here even later than that. And if you notice, the entire facility is clean and ready to go by 5.30 a.m. that next day. So, um, Maintenance routinely comes in to make sure everything's done. Uh, they kind of flex their schedules. And then as far as I kind of went into interns, they've done a great job of helping us with some projects. All right, so this is a, a newer application agreement that we've had for the past three years. And this has really helped in a, a lot of different ways. Uh, right before taking over as a supervisor, uh, we had a huge tournament kind of back out without any, any repercussions. So we sat down, we decided to uh, start a seven-page contractual agreement from scratch. Uh, it's not only a contractual agreement, but it's also an application. So inside of this agreement, we talk about admission fees, banner fees, cancellations, refunds, code of conduct, concessions, damages, insurance, merchandise, parking, and additional terms. And so what this does is this gets... So for instance, right now, I'm, all applications for 2024 are due on June 1st. So I get, gather all those applications and I wanna sit down and it's, it's very important for determining tournaments. 
Uh, I look at the number of courts, the hours, number of days. We also, we wanna maximize and help to determine which events get scheduled. So like I said, we first we look at the revenue. I calculate that by the number of courts, hours, days on the application. And then we take a look at concessionaire, um, just past history of who, who has done well for our tournaments for as far as our concessionaire with Sandbar. We look at the economic impact. Uh, we talk to Sport Lawrence, see who's doing hotel rooms. And then we also look at past events and organization of the tournament directors. So some, some tournaments are better fits in this facility than others. So that's kind of how we go through that process. Um, let's take a look at what I call the COVID years. Very difficult years here. A lot of canceling, a lot of events. So along with the hotels and Explore Lawrence, SPL staff led a focus group, which sent out pretty much weekly updates from Douglas County Public, Public Health which also included monthly meetings to help determine if it, what we could do, if anything, to get these tournaments back going. So, so hotels took a big hit during COVID and this focus group helped to inform the hotels of weekly, sometimes daily changes that would directly impact the community and the Lawrence Parks and Rec facilities. So as you see there, there's a look of some of our, some people, patrons on the track with face masks on. Um, we, it was a difficult year. We would, the communication with these tournament directors was of utmost importance. We had 50s events scheduled in 2021. And between those two years of cancellations, we had to cancel and reschedule 80 events. So without knowing when this was going to end, we just kept canceling, rescheduling, and trying to get them all in as, as many as possible. And then, and then we removed restrictions early, early in 2022 which allowed for a full year of tournaments and rentals at Sports Pavilion, and that was on 2022. Yeah. Um, like I said, we were able to retain every tournament from the previous year, which was a lot of hard work and a lot of communication back and forth with these tournament directors. Uh, the facility hosted a record number of tournaments last year. And then as far as our courts, our busy time, which is indoor, uh, October through April, we were pretty much fully reserved. You know, we have to turn away a lot of rentals, and there's a lot of juggling to make sure we can get as many, many here as possible over those times. So, uh, the, like I said, the bounce back in 20, 2022 was pretty amazing. Uh, as far as rentals and tournaments were concerned, we were pretty much re reached our capacity. The goal is just to maintain those similar numbers going forward. Um, I'll get into this a little bit more, but as far as like the way we do our revenue, as far as programs or um, facility budgets, um, about 75% of the facility is reserved for other parts of the So you're talking youth sports leagues, gymnastics, fitness classes, and that, that all does not count towards the sports pavilion revenue. Um, even though sports pavilion does expense all the utilities and cleans and sets up the rooms and takes registrations, um, I'll kind of get into detail a little bit more about that here pretty soon. All right, 2023, we're off to a great start. Um, there's some, just a breakdown of the tournaments. I'm getting a few um, people reach out to me every once in a while for additional tournaments. So those numbers may change, but through by the end of this month, S sports pavilion will have already hosted 19 tournaments over 17 weeks. So that's more than one per weekend. Uh, we had a, a really tough schedule of a couple Thursday, Friday basketball tournaments that turned right over into volleyball the next day. Uh, staff stayed here until almost midnight, cleaning the facility, changing the facility over and it was all ready to go by the next morning. So I have to give them a lot of credit. So there's a quick breakdown of that. And then as you want, if you want to see the events from year to year, there's a little bit of a quick snippet of that. And as you can see, 
2024 applications are due June 1st. We pretty much have the first four months figured out with our volleyball that's always there. And then we kind of, <coughs> so we're excited to see if we get any new tournaments or anything like that. But as far as two, 2024, it's looking to shape up pretty similar to the all right, so I mentioned a little bit about SPL revenue versus Lawrence Parks and Rec uh, revenue. That is one of the juggling acts that comes with this position. Uh, like I said, we are a program budget, budget. So as far as if you look at there on court one, you can see all of that, more majority of that um, revenue goes towards the adult sports department. We have to have free play on court two. Um, we did determine that is quite a bit of lost revenue out here, but it's a need for the community. They definitely come out and use it. So free play is uh, on court two usually. And then as you see, courts three, four, and five are kind of dedicated to our Lawrence Parks and Rec basketball, youth basketball practices. So really at the end of the day, I'm limited to court six, seven, and eight to make revenue on during those busy times. If we didn't have Lawrence Parks and Rec programming in the facility, I could rent out the rest of those, those courts as well. But that's just part of the juggling act that comes a part of it. So um, same goes with the turf soccer field and our fitness rooms. Those are majority are going towards other divisions within our, our department, youth sports, gymnastics, fitness, and such. So, all right, so I just want to jump into the community benefits. Uh, obviously, free access to our rec centers includes indoor play basketball, cardio equipment, weight equipment, and an indoor turf. Uh, as far as the amount of weight equipment and cardio equipment, we feel it's a perfect fit for this facility. Um, like I mentioned, we have the indoor fitness, the indoor turf as well. Uh, we also open at 5.30 in the morning, which is a huge benefit to the public. We get a lot, of, a lot of people that thank us for that. They can come here and work out before work and then go home shower and get off to work. But it does, it does put a lot of stress on this facility. It limits the time that we're closed. And during the week, the facility operates 11 to 12 hours from the time we open to the time that we can actually make revenue towards Sports Pavilion. Um, that usually starts anywhere from four or five o'clock at night until we close. So you can see there's a there's a lot that goes on here. Um, we also have, right now, we're very thankful for the amount of part-time applications we're receiving. We continue to receive these applications to find amazing opportunities to open the facility at these times. Um, I know a lot of people are having staff shortage, so we're, we're very fortunate this time. Um, so we hope to continue that. All right. This is just a quick shot of an economic impact. This was from early in the sports pavilions opening. Um, obviously, Kim will go on this a little more into detail from Explorer Lawrence. But this is just a quick shows you the dates, the type of volleyball, the teams. Um, the overnight stays, which is critical. And then it's just a projected uh, total economic impact. So as you can see, these tournaments, we don't see the revenue through economic impact, but that's a huge part of what we're trying to do here is not only fill up our, our facility with tournaments, but we're also trying to fill up the community um, in other ways. So. Let's see here. All right, so here's some exciting new stuff we're trying this year. Uh, the concessions RFP is actually going out here pretty soon. So we're, yeah. hope, we're hoping from the success of the past 2022 and what we've already done with our concessionaire through the first four months, we're hoping we'll generate some more interest from local businesses and possibly up our contractual split. Uh, sponsorships, wall sponsorships was just taken over by uh, Sports Pavilion staff. 
And so far, we were able to renew our sponsorships and we were able to add a couple new ones. And we're continuing to try to add new ones as we as we continue to go on as well. Um, let's see here. We also started our streaming sports, which we're excited about. It took six, seven months, but the contractual agreement is finally signed. And we're looking for a company to come in and start installing these cameras pretty soon here. I'm gonna go into a little more detail about that in a separate slide, but we're very excited about this. We had a lot of hard work with from the legal department, so we're very thankful. Um, I think this is, our goal was to try to get this for our into our basketball tournaments, which start here at the end of April. And I think we're going to be able to hit that. So we're pretty excited. Um, we have some esports contracting. We're working. Uh, we just finalized that agreement as well. So we're pretty excited. So be on the lookout for some esports opportunities coming pretty soon here. And then um, NIL, that's a unique one. I'll get in more into that a little bit. Um, we met with Mass Strategies, which is the NIL collective supporting Kansas student athletes. And we had a pretty good conversation about what we could do to work together. Um, so we're excited that we have, we got the ball rolling on that. So we're excited that we can maybe provide some camps and stuff here pretty soon with some student athletes. And I'll get into more detail here. All right, so I mentioned new revenue. One of the new revenue streams is increased rental rates. So as you can see there on the left is gonna be the new rates. On the right is gonna be the old rates. We did take in consideration some feedback from advisory board members and the public from past uh, meetings where they thought that we should be charging for merchandise, banner, and gate fees. So you can see there on the right, we were previously not um, charging anything for our tournaments for that. So we added a, a fee into there. And as you can see, the rest of the rates went up as well. Um, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. We've got to review those rates at the end of the year. But so far, so good. So far, so good. So. All right, so that's the Mass Street Collective uh, so far. So I sat down, we're, in the past week, we've sat down and really nailed down what we can do, what would be a good fit for Lawrence Parks and Recreation. And so far, I think we're working on a quarterback. It would be pretty exciting. Um, it would be the top four quarterbacks from University of Kansas coming in and working with kids in a one-and-a-half, two-hour camp. Uh, on the turf and the indoor fields here. So we're pretty excited about that. We still have some stuff to iron out, but I think we've got a pretty good start here. So we're looking to do this sometime towards late summer. And so we just have to continue to work with them to kind of figure out those things. Um, this would be similar to a, a normal contractual agreement too, even though NIL is a little different, how, how it's set up. So I think it would work out for both parties. So we're pretty excited. And hopefully if this works out, then we'll continue to, add new, new events going forward. All right, so there's Live Barn Sports. So this is our streaming sports that we just got done signing a contract with. And they have contracts with USA Swimming, USA Hockey. They are a known name, um, so I was pretty excited. We did a lot of research to see which company was the right fit for us. And this one hit all the targets. So a quick breakdown, that's, that's just a picture right there of one of their live barn setups in a hockey facility. And then, and here's a pretty quick breakdown here. Live barn is going to install 16 cameras at the sports pavilion, which would be one camera per court. And that's at no cost to Lawrence Parks and Recreation. There's no cost to us at all throughout this whole thing. Live barn will pay to the city a percentage commission on revenues generated from memberships. Live Barn will also pay a percentage of all streaming media revenue revenue 
by Live Barn for any specific events and tournaments held at Sports Pavilion. So any tournaments that we um, host here, whatever they get for that, we'll receive a percentage of that as well. And then we committed to a three-year partnership with, with Live Barn with options for further extensions or continue to do this through this. And like I mentioned, they are partners already with USA Hockey, USA Swimming, Kobe Bryant's Mamba facility in LA. So they, they have a pretty good track record. So we're, we're pretty excited. And so you may be wondering, what's the need for this? So even before COVID, we really noticed that traveling of parents was going down. We'd see one parent travel, maybe one parent stay at home with other kids to attend other activities. Parents can also replay the game with their child after the game. Maybe they just want to show them, hey, work on this, this type of thing. Uh, scouting, it's a big scouting tool. So now scouts don't have to pay the money to fly all over. They can just pay a membership to here and kind of stream in here. <laughs> grandparents as well. I, I think this is a huge benefit for grandparents. Even if they live locally, games, games could be too late or they could be across town and they have limited transportation. So this is a big benefit to, to grandparents. Majority of the tournaments at the sports pavilion since I've taken over have actually brought in a streaming service on their own. So they come in a day early, they set up their cameras, they do all the thing. So this would eliminate that. So this is, it'd be much easier, more attractive to new tournament directors as well with this already installed inside the facility. It increases cameras in the facility, which is always a good thing for issues, safety, everything. And Lawrence Parks and Rec will get new subscribers each year from our in-house youth leagues. So I'll be working with the youth sports division and, and pushing this through them as well because they're always bringing new new kids up through the system. So it's, it'll be great. It's a pretty pretty uh, decent price for a monthly subscription. So I, I think people will use it and enjoy it. And then also it enables, there's also a live barn app so they can get on their phone and use that. So we're really looking forward to that. So be on the lookout for that and sure advisory board reports for myself. And I'll kind of give updates to see how it's going. And then we'd be interested to look and how much That right there is just a little brief snip, uh, snapshot of what we're going to have for new programming. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, that's all I have right now. Um, I'm welcome to take questions or Kim can jump into her presentation and then we can we can take questions at the end if that's needed. Taylor? Yes. This is John Blazik, board member. Buddy, I want to tell you that is a great report. I'm telling you, I am excited. I like seeing your progressive growth like that. Um, wow, that's just an excellent report on information for this community. Um, the streaming sports, a live barn. I've worked for those guys just on my travels. You got a really good company, credible. Thanks for doing your homework on that. I love your spots on your esports, your NILs. Um, that's just impressive. The thing that's really impressed me is your organization, and I'm going to give it to you, even though community members want to go out while there's big tournaments going on, there is zero headache getting in the door, checking in, and getting to where you want to work out. And that really comes back to your leadership. That, that's one of the best things I've seen in six years on this committee. And I'll tell you, that's, I love your progressive thinking. That's how you're going to continue to grow. Uh, great to see. The only thing, and I don't know if you can do this, this might be out of your hands. I'm seeing, uh, I, I love your NIL stuff with kids because kids look up to those. Have you reached out to the Chiefs or Royals or Sporting? I see Isaiah is having a 
camp in Wichita. And the only reason I know Isaiah is my son recruited him to Rutgers and they're pretty good friends. Can the pro athletes reach out to you or do you have to go through agents or teams or what? Not very often do the pro, the, the pro athletes that we get are the ones that are in the NBA that already are holding that they have, I think they're all required to have their own charity or some sort. So we get a lot of camps. So they end up renting the courts from us. Uh, we haven't contracted with any uh, because we haven't had anyone reach out to us, but we'd be open to it. And, and I okay. think this, this NIL thing might open some doors as well. Yeah. And if I, if I can help you anyway, that way I might be, but I'll tell you what, that's impressive for the community of Lawrence. Thank you for your efforts. Outstanding. Uh, Taylor, this is Marilyn Hull, board member. You mentioned banner fees. Could you explain what that is? And could you could you help us understand whether uh, that could be expanded to more local sponsors for the center in general? No, absolutely. As far as like sponsorship banners, we're looking at that right now in the tax task force. Uh, this tournament banner fee is just specific to a tournament that comes in uh, Under Armour, for example, and they want to put up a giant banner. And it's a little bit of an obstacle for our staff or our maintenance staff to get up there with ladders and put it up there. So it's just a, a fee to kind of put that in there for them. Uh, Jackie Becker, uh, love this idea. I really didn't, I don't have any children, so I didn't recording, but I looked up the USA Swimming one and it looks like a really good company. So good choice. Uh, I wanted to know when these tournaments come in, do they pay a fee to utilize this service or is that free and then they buy the service and we receive the revenue? Is it, do they, do we, dip, I mean, I don't say double dip, but is there a charge to have access to these cameras for the tournaments? And then we also seek the profits if someone purchases to watch it, or is it just the one fee at the end? Yeah, great question. Uh, actually, so what they'll do is they'll work out their own contractual agreement with Live Barn, but we will be pushing it to all these tournaments because the more people that sign up for these tournaments will directly impact our revenue from it. So we will be pushing it through them. Thanks. Taylor, John Blasek, committee member again. Just thinking of your numbers and being in the sports marketing world and things like that, you have pretty good data now. You could really go out and reach into some uh, local or national sporting sponsorships out there for your walls because you have those numbers to show how many people come in, what's paying, how many eyes look at the walls because that's all they're looking for. That I know I was asked one of my first years on this committee to help. There was just nothing showing numbers. Nobody's going to spend $10,000 for a banner when you don't know who's going to see your eyes and who's going to see it. You've done some great data work there. That should open numerous doors for you to sell sponsorships if you get to do that for your walls. Everybody else in the country does it, so you're missing revenue, but now you have the data to do that. That's good stuff, Taylor. Thank you. Thank you. I have a question. This is Amber Nicole, board member. Taylor, your comments sparked some curiosity for me about the fact that more cameras is always good. So will those live barn cameras just be used during tournaments or can somebody look and see if their kid really is on the free play court asking for a friend? <laughs> uh, there are some privacy, so we will black out some, some times, obviously when we're closed and stuff like that. 
but we will we'll, we'll use them for other areas too. You know, I've, I've seen a, an outdoor tennis court in Lenexa that just has a camera sitting out there for pickleball players or tennis players. Mm -hmm. Check online before they drive over there. So they're not spending the time and seeing that the whole place is full. So we'll utilize it for our free play pickleball as well too. Absolutely. Perfect. Dynamite. That's all I have. Anybody else? Okay. Um, I Thank you, Taylor. So I guess we'll move over to Ken's portion. Hello. How are you all? Good. How are you? Okay. Can you hear me okay? Because I don't have my headset with me. Okay. Excellent. And can I share my screen? You should be able to. Okay. It's been a while since I presented on Zoom, so just bear with me for a moment. I feel like I'm doing it for the first time. Can you see it? No. No. no? Okay. Hold on. I think I was a meeting professional, right? Okay, let's try this again. Okay, now can you see it? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right, I'm gonna go to slideshow mode. Do you see that now? Yes. yes. Okay, excellent. All right. Well, thank you all for having me. Taylor um, touched on a lot of things and he is fantastic to work with, but I'm going to start just introducing myself and introducing what we do, since some of you on the advisory board may not have interacted with Explore Lawrence before. So my name is Kim Onsbach, and I am the executive director of Explore Lawrence. And basically, Explore Lawrence is the visitors bureau for Lawrence and by extension, Douglas County. And our charge is to create economic impact by attracting visitors to Lawrence, Kansas. And we do that by working with Taylor to help uh, attract more sports tournaments. We attract meetings and conventions. And then we also spend a lot of our marketing budget, just branding and attracting that leisure visitor to Lawrence. We're primarily funded through a portion of the transient guest tax, which is a 6% tax that is charged on hotel rooms and Airbnb stays in Lawrence. And um, we, utilize that money in sales and marketing. So basically we are the sales and marketing agency for Lawrence, Kansas to visitors. We are a 501c6. So I do report to a board of directors and this is my current board. Um, they are a governing board. So they do have voting on this. Um, Derek sits as an ex officio member on my board to help advise and make sure that we are connected with Parks and Rec especially because the sports market is such an important thing to our local hotels. I have a staff of six now. We're back to pre-pandemic staffing as of four weeks ago. So we're finally back up. So my newest member, Amy, does not have her official headshot. So you'll just have to go with her little picture there. But um, I have a marketing department and a visitor center. And then our sales department, Laura and Amy, they go after hotel, business, conventions, meetings, and sports tournaments. Uh, they work the most with Taylor. So when we have sports tournaments coming in, Taylor will connect us with those organizers. And then we help broker hotel rooms and hotel room blocks for them. We also have an incentive program that we can use in conjunction with Taylor's work to help incentivize these sports rights holders to come to Lawrence and remain in Lawrence. We wanna help him rebook this business so we're not always fighting and looking for the new business. So as 
Taylor mentioned, I'm going to talk a little bit about economic impact. And while Taylor had that individual estimates of individual tournaments, I'm going to talk a little bit more broadly about why this is important to Lawrence and Douglas County and what this money that comes in for these visitors does for our community. So I'm going to be speaking about our most recent economic impact study, which is done by Oxford Economics, and that is a, a nationwide research firm that focuses on visitor spending and it's our industry standard um, reporting. So this report is going to be from 2021. Since it's such an extensive data set, it does take quite a bit of time. So I will actually get 2022 and 2024. So I'm always about a year behind. So keep in mind, this is 2021, still kind of a depressed year. We're at about 90% capacity here. So even in that reduced capacity, in 2021, we had $245 million of direct visitor spending coming into Lawrence and Douglas County. Uh, that would generate about 3,260 jobs. That is formulaic, just depending on the direct jobs and induced jobs that were created by that economic activity. And most importantly for all of us in city government and government adjacent, that translates to $26 million to state and local taxes that were generated. Interesting, here is the where the visitor spending goes. Or no, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong, I'm a slide ahead. So this is our recovery year in 2021. As I said, we were at about 90% of our pre-pandemic levels. You can see that complete devastation really in 2020. Um, it was more serious for our hotels, but people were still spending money and going to restaurants and shopping and the few tournaments that we were able to have at the beginning of the year really helped not make it as bad. But even in our worst year on record, that's $189 million in direct visitor spending. So even in our worst times, it's still contributing that much money to our economy. What I always like to talk about is where that money goes when people come into the city. So people think, oh, these are just tourists. They're going to the hotel and they're going to their tournament or they're going to their meeting. They're not doing much else, but that's not true. We know that 30 cents on every dollar someone spends when they're in Lawrence goes to food and beverage. 27% is spent on transportation costs. That includes gas, um, if they rent a car, things like that. Retail gets 17 cents on every dollar. Lodging comes in at 14%. And then recreation, those admission fees to, to the tournament they're coming in and other recreation costs will get you at 12%. So um, I'm really just here to provide that overall view of the visitor economy and what we do as an organization. Um, we really, in the pandemic especially, that sports market, it kept our hotels alive. Being able to have those tournaments late in 21 and 22, we did not close the hotel. And I think it's because we could have those, those tournaments that were coming in. We did have struggles. We lost some business to other communities with our restrictions, but we're getting them back. And the business that we were able to keep really did keep hotels in business and they really value that type of business. So. That's all I have prepared for you, but I'm happy to answer any questions and talk about what we do as a tourism bureau 
in conjunction with Parks and Rec and then in general, if you have general questions for me. So I'll stop my screen share now. Okay, does anybody have questions? <laughs> I, I, um, Kim, this is Marilyn Hall, board member. Do you know anything about the 26 million that comes in in the form of tax money that is for local governments? Is, is that tracked in any way? Or I mean, kind of what I'm getting at is, is when we were talking about starting to um, have fees for admission to rec centers. We have members of the public who came in and said, you know, like the fourth pavilion in particular and rec centers in general are generating a lot of economic activity, but somehow that's not credited to the parks and recreation department in terms of cost recovery. Well, so Marilyn, those are sales tax, they're food and drink taxes, um, and then a small slice of that is transient guest tax. So there is, there's not a way to say if this, then that, like we can't say these people came to sports pavilion for their tournament. So they generated this much. This is data that is collected from those sales tax revenues and from our visitor numbers, but it's not tracked back to that, um, you know, we did have a service that could kind of do that, but I'm not really, it was exciting for a while, but then they, it was a phone tracking that we could see um, phone activity at Sports Pavilion. We could see that rise and we could see it go to a hotel and then we could kind of track that traffic throughout the city. But iOS updates in August of 22 really changed that paradigm. And I don't trust that data anymore. So I'm not subscribing to that service because it is quite expensive. And they told us we only had 10,000 people at a sold out football game. So I decided that that was not <laughs> So we don't do that anymore. So I'm not sure if that helps you with your question, but you know, we have not been able to really drill down to sales tax by region in the city or things like that. If that data exists, I don't personally have access to it. So. Does that help, Marilyn? Did I answer it or did it I just? Does, it does. Not, my question may not have been very clear, but it sort of comes back to um, the but the city budget process, um, and we're always kind of worried that Parks and Rec is getting cut or is being asked to generate new revenue or whatever. And I wish there was a way that we could. Um, point out that these facilities are generating a lot of sales tax dollars and economic activity and um, get some sort of credit for that. I don't know. I don't know if that's possible or not. I agree. It, it seems like the economic impact assessment tool going back a few years wow. is kind of scrutinized by the city commission on and I don't know that it'd still be scrutinized and Kim probably would know that assessment yeah, tool a lot better than yeah. I do. Yeah, I can talk to that a little bit. So prior to, in the before times as I call them, which is before my leadership in the organization, we did subscribe to an economic impact calculator, which is provided by Destinations International 
which once again is a nationwide accepted economic impact tool for destination marketers. So the people who do my work nationwide, uh, worldwide really at this point, trust this calculator. So we have not had that for a few years and I am bringing that back on in 2023 and we have our training on it this month. So those reports that Taylor shared were done in conjunction with us. So while those are not, I don't wanna call them not real numbers, but they're estimated. I mean, we always estimate, it's, it's formulaic. We don't know and follow people around and see what they spend, but research has shown that this type of visitor, when they visit a sports facility, tend to behave in this way. So that's how we come up with those. And so we are purchasing four different modules. One is a festival and events to help calculate that economic impact for arts and culture events to support the unmistakable identity outcome. And then also sports events. We will have that module as well. So we will begin to work with Taylor again to start collecting that information. So um, that in the future, yes, I think we can do a better job of that. And I think now that, especially now that Explore Lawrence is fully staffed, we actually have the manpower to do that and the budget to buy the calculator again. So. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, Jackie Becker, uh, two-part question, Kim. I yeah. want to know if the percentages that you showed where the money gets spent when someone's spending events, are these similar to what they were before COVID? Nope. And then would you say this 12% spent on recreation is consistent with other communities or how do we, with recreation, should is that, is that number right for where, where we're at? Yeah, it's so... I'll answer the first part of your question first, Jackie. The share of that dollar has fluctuated quite a bit. In 2020, the share for retail and food and beverage really shot up because people were coming, they were getting those takeout cocktails, and they weren't really doing much else than buying online for pickup. So that fluctuates every year. Uh -huh. Food and beverage is always going to be the top. Um, so they fluctuate, but they're always kind of in that order. So the share of that dollar changes, but the order in which they spend it is not is not variable. So um, sometimes recreation and lodging will switch places in those reports, but it's usually within about two or three percent that we're always kind of in line. In Lawrence, because that recreation number includes attractions, it includes getting into things like museums. A lot of our assets are free. So I don't know that we can be an apples to apples comparison with other communities that have that paid thing. Cause you can go to the Watkins and you can give a donation or you can't, you know, you can go to the Spencer museum, you can give a donation or you can't. People come into sports pavilion, they're, you know, if they're going to a tournament that's up to the tournament director, you know, how much they're charging. So I, I don't know that if it's in line or not, I don't want to lead you astray, but it's not an apples to apples comparison. So it's not something I really track as a benchmark for us. Great, thank you. I think this ties in with what Marilyn was saying that again, Parks and Rec seems to always get put in this place, but because we in our community provide such a free service for Parks and Rec, our donation into the 65 million maybe isn't calculated properly, so. Perfect. Thanks for the explanation on it all. Kim, this is John Blasek, board member. Okay. 
hey, that was a good, that was a good report. I've never heard of that in the six years. That was really good information. That was cool. Thank you. I enjoyed listening to that. Yeah, and I do, I will mention, John, we have the full report. This is really just three slides of like 50. So I could bore you (laughs) if you wanted, but I thought maybe you'd just like the highlights, but it is on our website. You can get to it on explorelawrence.com or just reach out to me. I can send you that copy of our of our full report for Douglas County. You don't want me to go over every slide, trust me. I know everybody thinks I'm athletic and I like what Taylor said, but I may I may reach out to you. That's I like learning that stuff. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. I'd nice be happy job. to chat. Thank you. Kim, and if you if you if you want to send me the full thing, I can send it out to all the board members so they have it as well. Yep, I already did that before I signed on, Roger. I, I saw that, so I didn't know if that was the full thing or not. So no, oh, the full thing. Yeah, I can do that. Okay. Right here, and I get off. Okay. Any other? If, that, if they want, if you want that, I guess. <laughs> Okay, last call for questions for Kim and Explore Lawrence (laughs) and Taylor. Thank you both so much. It was very, very interesting and informative. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Okay, so that brings us to concerns of board members. Concerns or updates from any board members? This is Marilyn Hall, board member. I have a question. Um, I know John Thornburg is a, a frequent listener to our meetings and occasionally gives public comment. I mean, he's always interested in bicycle parking and he has some level of frustration that his comments are not responded to or taken seriously or, or however you want to put it. I guess what I want to know is, is there somebody with the city who's who's like the czar of bicycle parking? <laughs> I thought that was I Jackie Beck. I mean, I wrote, I helped with the grant that got the bike parking that we had done. So, but well, that's it. <laughs> you know, he's coming to us and I'm not sure we're the right body mm-hmm. uh, because some of that feels like more of an operation question and I'm, would like to know who he, who he should be addressing his input to. Um, with the multimodal, I would think that would be Jessica Mordinger, yeah. who is the resident expert for the city of Lawrence on bike parking and some of that. I think he's been in touch with her in the past. But I think that would probably be the best start. And then our monthly multimodal meetings, that might be it a good way to engage it because that goes cross city and not one department. Great. And does, does the transportation commission deal with, um, making sure that there's adequate bike parking at any new city or city adjacent facilities? Mark, you may be better to answer that than I am. So every, every new project has to go through a site planning process. The site planning looks at ADA parking, bike parking, accessible routes. So, it, anything that's new or anything we touch that we remodel it gets reviewed through the planning process. Right. Okay. Thanks. Um, I've got something. Sam Thomas, board member. Uh, 
the vert ramp went up at the skate park pretty recently. We finally got the final pieces together, so I just wanted to let you all know the update. Uh, it's great. It's really fun. It's really scary, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just got, I got to skate it. got a helmet and some pads for my rep, and uh, it's really fun. We've already had people coming from out of town, and uh, I think I saw a LJ World photographer when I was at the park the other day, so I, I think they might be putting out an article about it or something. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really cool, and then I think Everything's pretty much done on it, except for we're going to build, I think, stairs up to it, and they're going to put in the donor bricks for the people that donated. And I think I was in an email about, like, getting signage on it about, uh, yeah, because it's not a beginner obstacle. So I think that's going up soon also. Um, and then at Edgewood Park, I wanted to ask uh, if there's any update about the like plumbing to get a bathroom if anything's like move forward on that because we are trying to build something there probably june july um and not that it would be uh we we could find another source for water because we've in the past just paid the neighbors twenty dollars to <laughs> bring a long hose over and they seem fine with that but it also would be nice to uh have something there so we could do that a little bit easier. Uh, and then we were also maybe going to build some temporary obstacles, but we wanted to make sure we couldn't remember if there was a rule against wooden structures there and if everything needed to be concrete uh, or if we could build. Because we have some old, actually, Justin bought some extra material from the Burt Ramp Company for some use. So we were going to maybe, we as an LSA, we're going to buy some of that from him and maybe build like a box or a small ramp or something at Edgewood, but we wanted to make sure that was okay uh, if we needed like any sort of special approval on it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, basically what we've done in the past is the, the Skate Association has submitted to me what they're wanting to do. We review it, look at the safety items, say yes or no, or, right. or alter it a little bit. The water over there, we've not made progress on. We're still kind of tied up in trying to get the restroom plans approved. Mm -hmm. We may look at just installing a water meter over there and a drinking fountain or something. Okay. That might be a short, shorter term fix than right. getting the restroom done. So, Yeah, I mean, even that would be pretty helpful to uh, be able to mix some concrete. John, this is John Blasek. Derek, I have a couple quick questions for you. Uh, I've been contacted by a number of community members, and I know one person came to see you. Talk to me about, so I hear, the committee can hear, and any community members watching this, what did you guys talk about on the baseball update and the facilities and softball? Uh, can you fill us all in on what you're going to do, what it's going to look like? Just so if anybody else gets calls like I do. I think Mark and Lindsay met with some of the groups on soccer and softball. So I, I think they would be the best ones to give the update. Plus it touches on the CIP on what we're looking at this fall. So, so I can take most of that with Mark Hacker, assistant director. So we did a lot of little touch up stuff, fixed fences, fixed pitching mounds and the dug in the bullpens and whatnot. There's a couple of bigger items coming forward. Uh, the YSC, we're upgrading all those lights. That goes commission agenda next week. 
So all the lights at YSC on the six of the eight baseball fields and the two soccer fields will be upgraded to LED. Um, next year, CIP has uh, installing artificial turf on the infields of YFC. Oh, so cool. that'll be a pretty substantial upgrade on that. Those are the bigger ticket items. Uh, the things that we, you know, had the most concerns about were just little kind of nickely dimey things that we wanted to improve, which that's kind of what everybody sees usually if we're in the, in the bullpen warming up and the ball gets loose and runs back to the to the uh, stands area, everybody gets concerned. So we were able to put up some new fences and, and just kind of tune things up a little bit. But that's a continuous process. Okay. Well, and the other thing, you know, when we're talking facilities and things like that, we've always got to make sure it's safe for kids and injury-free from, you know, to make sure they're upgraded. So thank you on that. Derek, after listening to Taylor on his progressive and great report, I'm going to ask you and put you on a tough spot from a community taxpayer. I know we're still two million in the in the budget, and I want to compliment the school district superintendent because he's got a tough tough road to hoe because he's got to try to balance his budget as an educator. I know what he's doing, closing buildings that's not popular, programs, staff that's not popular. But you you know somewhere you got to draw the line of trying to meet a budget. What have you done as a director for our uh, recreation program to to try to help offset? your $2 million budget you're still short on. Can you help me out? I mean, on sponsorships, sure. have you closed buildings? Have you reduced staff programs? What are you doing? We'll start with uh, the sponsorship. We've got the task force running. Uh, they've got some great, great things in the works. Got a little bit of an update from Ken on that. We have, we continue the review of what we do on service levels. And we're also getting ready for this next this year's budget kickoff, which is uh, going to review on how we make make budget. Um, Lindsay, I don't know if you want to talk on the. I'm probably jumping ahead on on your report, but if you want to talk about the sponsorships and what's going with that, sure. And what you guys designed? Yeah, I was gonna gonna mention that in my report, and um, Taylor also talked a little bit about it. But we do have the staff task force uh, for sponsorships, and we're still meeting monthly, and it's going really well. Um, so far, we we have secured new sponsors for the fields out at YSC. Um, you're gonna see some banners up, and we're getting a lot more interest in some. We've um, updated our paperwork for that. We have our staff um, interacting with some um, businesses and other groups who are interested. So you're going to see some banners going up for that. And then we've also uh, finished all the um, opportunities for Eagle Bend Golf Course. And I know we already have some whole sponsors. And so we've kind of rejuvenated that effort. And um, staff are actively out um, looking for new sponsors for that as well. And we have our next meeting this week and we're going to be talking about SPL and the other rec centers and we're looking at um, new options for putting up banners and so our staff have been doing a great job of researching um, you know banner cost and and what kind of a, a program we might put together for banner opportunities and so that's for SPL as well as the other rec centers and uh, once we finalize that plan and pricing and documents then we'll be getting getting those out on the market 
interested in uh, recruiting what we can. So we feel really good about that. And um, I think I mentioned before, but we have our our task force group is is great, and they have a lot of ideas and a lot of energy. And so I feel really good about the progress that we've made so far. I know with Taylor, with what he's done on those numbers and things like that, you should be able to sell sponsorships. That I mean, big time sponsorships um, that will help offset every penny helps. Because I just know community members sometimes when they read about how you're in the hole, Derek, and you're not doing anything to do, you know, I we just need to let community members know. That's why I'm an advisory board member. And and uh, I think Taylor's really done a great job out there to help. Are you talking hundred, $500,000 worth of sponsorships in a year? I don't know that we have a estimation put together yet, honestly. Um, we're kind of just getting started and seeing what we can do. But I know um, Roger's working on, on LMH, and that's going to be – that's it's about ready to go, and that's a big one for us. So um, thanks to Roger for getting that done. And, um, yeah, we're not sure. I think we have big ideas for sure. Um, and, you know, I think once we get started, I'm not sure how, how quickly we'll – uh, we'll build it up this year, but it'll definitely gain momentum. And, and like you said, John, once people see, once people see the banners up and and realize the numbers, and especially at SPL. But like I said, we're we're looking department wide at everything we offer, and even the fields, outdoor fields. Um, you know, we we feel really good about those opportunities too. So um, we're going to do what we can this fall. I believe it's probably about the November timeframe, October, November, we should start on the three artificial turf soccer fields at YSC. So there's great opportunity there to do some major advertising. And especially the last time we talked to Mammoth on what they get for some of that. So I think there's some opportunity to hit some pretty big sponsors. Now, how much yeah. does that add up to? I, I would agree. I mean, over six years, the facilities have always been there. Nobody's ever gone after the money. So have you done anything with buildings or staffing, Derek, like the school superintendent's got to tackle that headache? So 87% of your budget is probably salaries, I would think. Maybe not in rec like education, but have you done anything like he's got to do? When you look at Prairie Park Nature Center, I think that is the one that comes to mind. Um, based on their part-time dollars expenditures and what we're doing now, that is being uh, reduced. And we've got an increased uh, fee costs with our last raise. So between that, looking at expenditures and cutting programs or amenities that aren't being used, that's the one that just pops into my mind we were talking about earlier today. Um, I don't know on the park side, it, uh, well, we were talking irrigation this morning because I was looking at all the pretty yellow flowers that are mm -hmm. popping up in our parks and trying to get my yard started to where we with water. But. One other thing I might just jump in. Um, we recently had one of our uh, full-time sports supervisors leave and we condensed the sports program. Uh, so we did not refill that position. So that's one position that we put on the shelf. So in light of all the the fees and, and budget and, and numbers we're trying to hit, that was one thing that was kept in mind too, John. So that's okay. that's one staff reduction that we've done so far. Thanks, Linz. I mean, at least we're trying. I, I, I know I'm a taxpayer and there's a lot of people would like to go one year without our taxes going up and then reading how much the city or the city manager, or the council or the recreations in the hole seems like 
when we go in the hole, we're going to take care of it. I, I, I'm just speaking for the committee members. No, for me and community members. So, uh, Lindsay, I appreciate that. That's maybe a start for us to try to balance out zero. So, thank you, Lindsay. One thing I might mention too is that, you know, we did the fee increases. So, looking at our enrollment numbers being impacted by the fees, the enrollment numbers are actually creeping up, which is a good news, which also creeps up because the, we're charging more for the services we're offering. So, that may have a prior biggest potential impact if the enrollment numbers stay up yeah. and the fees come stay with them. That has the potential to create a pretty substantial, you know, move in the budget needle. Yeah. And, and what's goofy is we're working on 24 budget right now and we don't know what's going to happen with 23. So, but we do know a lot of the 24 expense dollars are going up. So what does electric cost, what's natural gas cost, all the software costs, all the things like that. So, it's a continuous balancing act. You know, will, will we increase that revenue enough to offset the expense increase? We don't know. Yeah. But the hard part about parks and recreation budgeting is if you close a building, you impact the revenue. But unlike a school, if you close the building, you take all the expense off one side, but it doesn't sure. put the revenue side. So it, it's an interesting balancing act that, you know, I got to play school district finance for many, many years too. So I've played both sides of that. It's an interesting dynamic to look at. And I'm yeah. glad I'm not with the school district here right now. <laughs> yeah, hey, Mark, remember Mark, I know you do budgeting. As, have you projected any percentage? And I keep thinking because I know we're not charging SPL to get in, but your raised prices for different activities, what kind of, will, will that give you what, 10, 12%? Have you, have you done any projection like that over the year? So we've done, we're projecting, but it's still that, if we raise it too much, do we impact the participation? Yeah, okay. So that's what we don't know. We know what we increase the fees, what percentage. We don't know what it'll do the participation numbers. So that's we've only seen the first quarter of that so far. So far, it hasn't impacted those numbers. Now, if we see that into summer, then I feel pretty good about projecting that for the year. Okay. But right now, it's it's a little too early. So will the summer camps we increase those costs significantly? Does that impact the people who are going to participate in it, or does it stay the same? So it right. may be a great impact if, if participation numbers don't tank on us. Yeah. Okay. Thank Bell, you. Bell board member, were were um, did staff get raises as we raised the rates? I just because I know I take a class and I look at this woman, I think I wonder what you're making and now you know it's like I hope you're making X. <laughs> so, and I just also wanted to mention. Um, remember what happened when we tried to close the community building? <laughs> you know, it it wasn't like closing Pinkney School or Broken Arrow. It was it was uh, it was not going to happen. You know, public was not going to let that happen. And as so, you said, revenue would go away. So I might speak a little bit to the the staff increases. So our biggest challenge is we employ 700 part-timers. So if you try to in keep those fees going or the, the hourly rates going up to stay up with inflation, it really is a big budgetary impact. You know, we see it in lifeguards. If we don't have a dollar enough high enough, we aren't going to recruit it. Same with park maintenance, same with scorekeepers. And it's across the board. So that's a continuous balancing act too. That we want to stay market competitive, but you know, we're starting to pay fifteen, sixteen dollars an hour for part maintenance where we used to pay eight. And we're it's we have to be that how to get people to apply for the job. So it's uh 
We have the biggest struggle of any city department because the, the city full-time wages get adjusted by the city commission. But uh, we have to try to keep up with inflation with our part-time dollars. So that's another expense item that keeps raising rather quickly. So. Questions? Yeah, good questions. Uh, Jackie Becker, I did have one question. I was hoping to get an update on the Oak Hill Cemetery Shaw family plot and where we're at with that and has everything been worked out and everyone's doing okay or how are we doing with that? Did a review and it does happen on a funeral, something like that. And, you know, you know, first off, our, we certainly understand the family's uh, frustration during this restful and sad time. We work with funeral homes on a regular basis. It's kind of like working with a wedding planner on how do you get the squares fixed. So I've been doing a review of our rules and regulations with the cemeteries. Um, typically, the funeral director arranges that. So if you hire, you get involved, then that also brings your tents, your chairs, and everything else. And then <clears throat> there was, it, to me, it looks like there was some miscommunications in multiple places. And so I'm going to have the cemetery department do a full review of the interment and interment processes and look at best practices from other places to, to do the full review. But yes, I, that was unexpected. And I, I didn't even know a funeral was going on, didn't read anything about it, and you read something else in the newspaper and it makes you wonder what's going on. So, um, But in this case, I think uh, because there wasn't a vault delivered, which would have been a heads up, even if there was a missing communications, um, beyond our control to help at that point. And is there anything we, are we doing this question like on behalf of the family now because of the mix up? Obviously we can work on getting the practices done. I know you're going to get that taken care of so it never happens again, hopefully, you know, but are, can we make, you know, how is the family going to be taken care of with the situation? Anything with that, anything we can do? There are things we can do, but from what I've reviewed, I, I really don't, you know, as bad as I feel, I don't see that we did anything that was wrong. I still may do something just because that's not the level of expert service and expectation when somebody goes to get buried in one of our cemeteries that I ever want to see happen to any family. Um, so I, I'm still in the review process of that. Okay. Thanks. Okay. So that, is there any more questions or concerns or updates before we head into full reports? Okay, that me. Yep. All right, Lindsay Hart, Assistant Director. We've kind of covered most of my stuff throughout the evening, so I don't have much. Um, but Mark was starting to talk about the enrollment numbers, so that was uh, the one thing I wanted to mention. Um, and thank you, Roger, for always supplying us with these monthly numbers. And, conveniently right before each advisory board meeting. Um, but things are looking great. We're actually doing really well. So we now have uh, finished the first quarter. Um, but just for the month of March, um, a year ago in 22, we had uh, 1,868 enrollments. And this year for March, we had 2,474. Wow. Uh, so for the quarter, uh, last year at this time, it was 4,330. And this year, we're at 6,692. So the good news is people are coming back. Enrollments are up. Thankfully, the fee increases don't appear to have a negative impact. 
um, on our enrollment. So we feel really good about where we're sitting right now and uh, we're definitely up compared to this time last year. So, so that's good news and that's exciting. And like Mark said, we're getting into the budgeting process for 24. So we're having to look at, at revenues and, um, and we're gonna do what we can to make adjustments for 24 that are more realistic um, to you know, what we think will be achievable. And so hopefully we can get a lot of that um, straightened out for next year. So that was all I had other than everything else we've already covered. This is our This is John Blasey, committee member. Thank you for those reports. And thank you for at least trying to be progressive and proactive on getting those numbers back up. Thank you for the number of reports. Sure. Thank you. Ready for me? Yep. Um, Parks-wise, April, May is our busiest, craziest months of the year. Basically, we don't have enough staff and there's way too much to do. So um, all the athletic fields are up and rolling, so all the complexes have started this last week. Um, this coming weekend, all the shelters and restrooms open in all the parks, so that's kind of a big task item right now. There's a lot of some projects going on, so the bird ran finished up, so that's huge. Lions Park Splash Pad started this week. So if you go over there, it looks very different than it used to a few days ago. There's no progress, but it's cleared. Um, Broken Arrow Shelter is also starting. So that'll be a complete remodel of that shelter house. Taking concrete out, new concrete in, there'll be glass walls that'll be set up for a year-round shelter in the future. Right. So we didn't get all the way to the year-round shelter with this project because it got pretty expensive but we're a half a project away from being there. So that's gonna be kind of exciting. Parking lots, um, every year we try to do two or three parking lots. That goes on the commission agenda tomorrow night. So we're doing the Prairie Park um, East Side parking lot over in the park. And then the East Lawrence Center parking lot will both be resurfaced this year. Uh, YSC lights, I mentioned that, that'll be on the following week's agenda. That's an $830,000 light upgrade. That takes us from um, high pressure sodium uh, halogen lights to LED lights. So energy efficiency wise, way, way up the scale and very, very little glare. So it, we currently get complaints from all the way across the highway on um, the glare from those lights. So these lights basically direct straight down. You don't hardly even see them when you drive by them. So we're pretty excited about getting those done. Community buildings reopened after we had that two week shutdown. So we're getting gym floor spruced up. We were able to bid a lot of other projects that haven't been completed yet, but we know what we want to do. So that's moving, but just busy, busy, busy. We started to get ready, ready for the outdoor pool, which seems weird too, but there's concrete patching, painting, that sort of stuff to get that going. We've redid the, the big blue slide. We did a, a fiberglass rehab on that one. So lots of things going on. And the tulips are up. The tulips are up. <laughs> and the daffodils. When, when does the splash pad in East Lawrence open? We got asked that the other day. We need to make a date up. We don't know. We, we basically told the person that asked it, depends on the weather, which is about how we can operate. Because we're seeing we're going to be in the 80s, 90s. We could be on in a day. <laughs> That's what I love about that. It's not like the pool where it takes a month to get ready. So, yeah, I... I don't know what the date, maybe May 1st, I don't know. Let's see how the weather looks. Yeah. Question with uh, Lions uh, and the stuff being done, 
are the restrooms actually opening next week? Then yes. two, they will be. Okay, yes. good. Yes, yes, yes. A little crowded for one restroom at kickball on Friday night, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, with 18 teams, but we did it. <laughs> Pickleball folks have mentioned that, yeah. too. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> Yeah. But it's 80s all this week, so I feel yeah. good about that. But what are you drinking that are not that much? <laughs> I don't drink anymore, so I don't know what's going on. <laughs> water, lots of lots of water. <laughs> okay, director's report. Okay, arts and culture. Or do you want? I, to I can go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. Porter, Porter's not here, but um, I, I can talk to some of the things that my group's doing. Um, we have the Spring Arts and Crafts Festival at Community Building this Saturday from uh, 9 to 4. Um, it's kind of a revamp thing. We've had it at the Sports Pavilion. We're relocating it downtown uh, for this time around. We're still doing lots of right, right away street permits for upcoming events like Juneteenth and some of the other ones that are bigger in scale. Uh, communicating with all the different departments and getting you know the, the event coordinators set up for success as best we can. Uh, special use permits. Uh, Mark mentioned Lions Park and Broken Arrow. Uh, shelters are down so that they're not rentable so that's going to be a period of time that we're not going to see some money coming in from that um, but we have a lot of other shelters that we are renting and I know we did restructure the pricing on those so we should see some of those uh, bringing in hopefully as much as we have next year maybe I can kind of look at some numbers and pull some reports on those uh, just to kind of give you a snapshot of where we are um, they open up on Saturday April 15th um, so they're gonna you know that tells me summer's coming just right around the corner so we're gonna be doing that um, in terms of the cultural arts side of things we have the TGT uh, grants that I'm still working on uh, getting contracts sent out to all the folks that were awarded those um, grants and getting all the paperwork put together um, and then the community art grants I think you guys finalize those are you gonna finalize them tomorrow or something yeah I mean the, the body met and made the recommendations and we're gonna get, get staff the staff approval to send them on, on, or on right and then the, the, the outdoor sculpture uh, program exhibit will be uh, starting here before too long as well I think in June is that the thing? Yeah. So we're looking for information on that. And then the Phoenix Awards, uh, they've got, uh, I think, the design uh, contract started with the person that's going to be designing the Phoenix Awards. And if you don't know what the Phoenix Awards are, those are awards that are presented to local artists. And basically, they get this nice piece of artwork from somebody in the community that it helps design. So it's a real neat project or program uh, that we have going on. Uh, let's see. I think that's it, Derek. Okay. Unless you have something else that um, I didn't say. Well, uh, the other thing, the big Fourth of July thing on the third that we're planning to Summerfest. Uh, it's a big endeavor that we're we're going to have out at the uh, Douglas County Fairgrounds. They've uh, allowed us, and that's where the fireworks will be. Uh, Lighting up the sky out there, so we're gonna have a we're gonna have an arts and crafts festival, music, entertainment. Uh, we're working with a lot of the recreation staff on you know developing programs for that specific day. Uh, so it's kind of a community thing on the Monday, July third. 
kind of sneak, sticking away from the holiday, but on Monday, July 3rd. The fireworks will be on the 3rd. Correct. And that's something that last year, sponsorship covered all of it. That was $18,000. And so this year, the staff had put together an outstanding sponsorship package. And so uh, that's going to be started for two, yeah, or for too long to go around and start raising funds, sponsor that as a community event. So I'm excited for that. Um, we had the Pride Parade June 3rd, I think. I'm, on, I'm trying to remember. I think I saw that. And then we've got Juneteenth on the 17th. And then we have a 100-year celebration of KU Relays, April 14th through 17th. Um, so that should be a busy weekend. And I think there's also a tournament out at Sports Pavilion Lawrence. So um, my concern was parking. We haven't seen this since pre-COVID. Uh, I can't find a spot to park. And so do we get people transported in? And so I think KU, from what I hear, has been working with LMH to use that parking. But I, I know there are probably people saying I'm parking too far away and I have to walk. So I guess those are good problems to have. Yeah. Um, the Lawrence Art Center had their uh, fundraising art auction on Saturday night. And I think that was very well attended. I, First time I've ever been to one of those things, and the artwork was probably way more like a fort. <laughs> Super cool stuff. And so uh, I'm, I'm happy to see that event went well. And that's all I have as an addition to uh, arts and culture. Thank you. Okay, director's report. Um, first off, and we also have a member from the Lawrence Douglas County Public Health in the building with us. Daniel, uh, we were selected um, as a recipient of the Healthier Together Award by the Lawrence Douglas County Public Health. It's an award given to an organization who has contributed in an exemplary way to public health's mission of assuring that everyone has the opportunity to achieve good health. Uh, Parks and Recreation, working with the homeless population and supporting our community response to COVID were key factors in leading to this award. Um, we did so many things during the COVID and um, Sometimes you get so busy that you just look forward and going back to when this all kicked off. Uh, library closed, building closes, where will the homeless go? And then we started with uh, portageons in the community. Well, where can they shower? Well, there's closed. So then we went to the outdoor showers at the, the pool. And so reliving all that, the Camp Woody, the first part of the winter emergency shelter, the hotels, and then it's transitioned over to the HID, the Housing Initiatives Division. I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, and then if you look at all the protocols that we worked with, with the Lawrence Douglas County Public Health on, we're all in new territory on how do we open things up, provide health and wellness opportunities for the public, yet still keep everybody safe from uh, COVID. And uh, was really appreciative and supportive of the everything that everyone in our department's done to make this possible and everybody in the health department that has done so much during these last few years. So. Uh, it was uh, very humbling to get that award and really appreciate it. So thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. Okay, a few other things. Um, two things are keeping us really busy. The comprehensive plan is something that, that and accreditation are the two things that keep me on right. How do we keep things moving? And I would love to see things moving faster, but it's just, there's steps. Accreditation is another one, which will make us better and how we have policies in place. Um, and it's finding time to do that because we're doing it internally 
we're not like the police or fire department. We have somebody that just focuses on accreditation. I wish we, we were there, but um, it's everybody hoping to pull together when the time, when we have enough time to do something amid the uh, mini crisis ease that prop, pop up every day. Uh, the vertical ramp, Sam mentioned that's up and running. Um, that's something I think we need to get together, uh, collaborate and coordinate on a ribbon cutting because I know the Parks Rec Department and the yeah. city and everybody will want to be a part of that. We're talking about May 6th, I think is a Saturday, because um, we might get some professionals come and do a demo and maybe that when we do the ribbon cutting. And you wanted to do it sooner? Well, part of the, we start to bring in more people when you start to bring in city commissioners and mayors. So I can propose a date, and all of a sudden, it will get changed by the by the city um, city hall folks and saying, "Well, we can't get a commissioner there." So we really need to get staff coordinated, and maybe a suggestion and LSA with Mark on yeah, we trying to work on a date and uh, making sure that we have enough time to plan an appropriate ceremony to really do it justice so cool. uh, it's ready to be open so uh, another group that parks has been working with um, is a brick creek neighborhood association put trails back in the woods and you know maybe it's i say uh, michael Almond has suggested burroughs creek trail since it goes along the burroughs creek but then i'm starting to think about confusion which Burroughs Creek Trail are you? Let's meet at the Burroughs Creek Trail. Um, but I'm excited to see that uh, going in and um, that would be very impressive when we get that done. Do they have money or yeah. is that a walking trail? It's a walking trail. Okay. Mark can explain the trail. I think we've got that done. Yeah, so basically we've cleared a path. Okay. So there's some... Off of the Loop Park. Yeah, so Brook Creek Park basically from where the you know where the playground shelter is there in Brook Creek, there's a path that goes right off the end there by the picnic area, goes back through the woods and comes back around kind of east of the the, the playground there. But um, yeah, it goes back through there. So it's kind of evolved. Originally it's just gonna be a dirt path. And then Michael Allen's proposing that we maybe take it and and put an ag line down. So that has a cost factor to it. He had a grant project that was a, a wayfinding signs mm -hmm. for the east side of town. So what potentially we're doing is taking that funding and maybe reverting it to trail surfacing. Mm -hmm. That's not approved yet. So that it's an idea concept, but we need to actually price out what that would cost. So we have over $20,000 or $120,000. So um, not a bad idea. And they don't want a hard surface. They want something that's that's a little softer surface, not too wide, but wide enough. And getting some historical signage about what was important and the significance of that area. And so part of Parks and Rec Arts and Culture and talking with Porter is a sub of that arts and culture. The culture is our heritage. So whether our heritage began yesterday or it began a thousand years ago, there's heritage over the cemeteries, and, and so it covers historical signage all over Lawrence and what uh, Lynn Zoner does. And so when we talk about the strategic plan, Lynn's kind of going, where do I fit in? And the more we looked at it, I think it really is under a mistakeful identity. And um, we're working on some other signs, historical signs with some of the neighborhoods too. That 
It is all I have to report. Is the yard assigned included yet, or is that still way down the road? It's a little bit down the road. Yeah. So the, the first item we're trying to get is the trail extension from 8 to 7. Mm -hmm. So if we can acquire that property, get the easement settled, get set on a project, then we can start talking about amenities, which I, I see that as an amenity to that trail. Mm -hmm. But we don't want to get the cart before the horse because we don't have an easement set yet, and we haven't acquired an easement yet. So that's kind of the, the order in my mind. There have been a, some preliminary conversations. I know Mark and I were out there on a very cold day. Very cold. <laughs> One of their representatives. Um, talking about what the installation might look like. It might be more than a sign that it might be a three-dimensional installation. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, our next meeting is set for Monday, May 8th. Is there any other thing I need to cover? Would anybody like to make a motion to adjourn? Marilyn Hall, I move we adjourn. Great. Jackie Becker, I second. Great. With that, we are adjourned. Thank you very much. If you want to gavel. Jackie, I'm going to on that. Yeah. Um, Sorry. I had to bring.